Hey, everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes is a Goal podcast, the best place in the entire world, including all of Canada, to learn how to build new thoughts, new actions, and new results. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today I'm joined by Kathy Heller. Who's that? I'm so, so glad you asked. Kathy Heller hosts the podcast, Don't Keep Your Day Job. She also wrote a book called Don't Keep Your Day Job, but her podcast has over 21 million downloads and features conversations with creative entrepreneurs like actors Jenna Fisher, that's Pam from The Office, and Matthew McConaughey, blogger Seth Godin, singer-songwriter Jason Mraz, um, super tall author John Acuff. I was on her show and it was fantastic. That's how we first met. She's a phenomenal leader, and she's sparking a movement for every soul to add their gift to the world. Now, I don't video record my podcasts, and there's a really simple reason. Because I'm so new at this that I'm pretty sure I'm making weird faces while I read the questions that I've written beforehand for these interviews. I I write a lot of questions, and I have a piece of paper, and I just think I'm making weird faces. Plus, I apparently have a furious focus face, the old triple F, as they say in Latin. I look so mad when I'm really listening. During the pandemic, like last March, April, I quickly had to start using a disclaimer at the start of Zoom meetings because I would see in the corner like this dude that looked so enraged, like just white hot. And I'd be like, who is so mad? I'd be like, oh, that's me. That's my face. So I don't record the videos. But if you could see the video of this conversation, In this episode, you'd see me start leaning in, start clapping, and start taking notes. Kathy Heller's story of losing her record deal, reinventing her life, and building a massive business is just wildly inspiring. And it's really practical. She's super honest and open about like, here's the steps. Here's what I think other people can do. She stepped on my toes a lot in this episode. Uh, I'll tell you that up front. There was a lot of notes that I was taking. I was like, oh, she's talking about me. And she challenged me to do some things in my own life that I've been afraid to try. So if you listen to this episode while on a treadmill, you're probably going to fall off. I just want to give you that heads up. That's a safety warning right there. Um, I can't wait for you to hear this one. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Remodel Health. Navigating health benefits can be a struggle, especially for leaders who wear many different hats within their organization. Luckily, you don't have to stress about picking the perfect plan for your team. Thanks to Remodel Health, you can get tailored health benefits that fit your organization's needs. Their in-depth, personalized approach to health benefits allows you to discover more options, serve employees better, and control the cost and quality of your health benefits like never before. What's more, Remodel customers save an average of 56% on health benefits. Imagine what you could do with savings like that. With their dedicated team of compassionate healthcare experts and consultants, your organization can experience better benefits while still getting the hands-on individual care your people need. Are you ready to learn how Remodel Health can help your organization provide better benefits and find bigger savings? Remodel's benefits consultants can run a health benefits analysis on your unique team to evaluate your current plan and help you find a better alternative that saves you money and better meets the needs of your people. Head over to remodelhealth.com slash analysis today to learn more about the health benefits analysis and get your personalized evaluation. And here's something really cool. You'll get 50% off by using the coupon code ACUF50. 
That's A-C-U-F-F-5-0. Let me spell that one out because the word analysis can be tricky. I've never once spelled that word correctly. Remodelhealth.com, A-N-A-L-Y-S-I-S. And remember, the coupon code is ACUF50. Experience better benefits and bigger savings with Remodel Health. All right, let's jump into this interview with Kathy Heller. I am so happy that Kathy joined me today on my podcast. I had an amazing time on hers. Um, She's all over the place. Her podcast has 24 million downloads. She's got an amazing podcast that I will link to all the things um, in the show notes. But Kathy, thanks so much for joining me today. I was so happy to get to see you. You're really (laughs) someone who walks the walk. You were one of the most authentic people I've had on. You were so vulnerable and honest and also helped us so much to change those soundtracks in our minds that are just not helping us. Uh, well, I'm so I'm so glad to hear that. I want to jump right in. When you moved to LA, so we're going to go to like, this is Wayback Machine. You moved to LA, your family begs you to leave and tells you, and this is a quote from your book, success doesn't happen for people like us. Um, And you just mentioned soundtracks. It's a phrase I use for a repetitive thought that feels like a broken soundtrack for family members, friends, anybody who says something like success doesn't happen for people like us. Were there other negative soundtracks you felt like you had to unlearn as an adult? Oh my God. So many of them across the board. I mean, one of them is that marriage is not safe and good. I mean, that's a whole other thing. My parents, you know, definitely didn't have a great marriage and broke up. And that causes me a tremendous amount of pain looking for the evidence of that story. And then as far as goals, yeah, there was a whole bunch that came with, if you even got to be successful, you would lose your integrity. You would start to be one of those people that has no scruples, no ethics. You would probably be somebody who wasn't a good mother. Oh, P.S., you probably won't even get to be a mother if you even were successful. Oh, and you'll probably do drugs and you'll probably die young. That's a lot of sounds. That's a lot of soundtracks between you and, and wanting to be successful. Do you feel like those are the kind of things that contribute to people being afraid of success? It's a weird thing to even say, like a fear of success, but it feels really rampant. And a lot of the people I talk to, probably a lot of the people you talk to, what does fear of success look like? Oh, my God. I mean, first of all, we are so egocentric and we often have this imposter syndrome of like, who am I to even do it? Who am I to have it? Well, who's the who? I mean, that's your ego, not your real self, right? We're all kind of aware that there's this narrative we've made up of who we are and that's an ego. And then there's our real self, which is really connected to whatever it works for you to call it, if it's God, if it's energy. But we know for a fact there are people like Michelangelo and Serena Williams and Tom Petty. You see them get in a flow state. And is that their ego or is that when they're actually surrendering the ego? So that's what gets in the way. It's like there there is an ego that's created to protect us. And so that protection is sometimes, well, I don't want to be a bad person I want to be a good person with morals. So I don't want to be successful because my ego thinks that if I'm successful, I was taught it'd be a bad person. People with money are greedy. So does that get in the way? Absolutely. But we have to really, I went back to the ego place because that's really the, 
imposter syndrome is just such a, who am I to do this? It's like, who are you not to do this? Like you were made to serve, to be available, to open your palms and to use every aspect of your life force to contribute and use your gifts, period. And that's actually humility. When you deal with imposter syndrome, because I think there's so many people that think once you have a podcast of a certain size, once you have, you know, once you accomplish whatever, you no longer deal with these things. People ask me all the time, like, how did you stop being afraid? And I'm always like, I'll let you know when it happens. Like, I'm afraid all the time. I just, you know, fear gets a voice, not a vote. Like, it doesn't get to decide the thing. So for you with imposter syndrome, because you keep leveling up. I joked on your podcast, like, it's hard to follow Matthew McGonaghy. Like, it's like, and I would be like, <laughs> I he opened for me, which is very, very humble of him. Um, but for you, as you keep leveling up in these fun ways, how do you deal with imposter syndrome? Well, I think it's what we just said before, is like remembering who's really in charge. It's like, what people don't realize is that the thing that trumps confidence is an open heart, right? Like just someone who's actually showing up and present. And so I remember that whether I'm talking to Matthew McConaughey or you or anybody who's done a thing or two, it's like there's never a time where that person doesn't need a genuinely open-hearted, kind human. And so we live in such an empathy deficit. I think if we all focus on like just being present boy, does that go such a long way. The second piece is that we all have an upper limit. I mean, think about how Moses went into the desert and was like, oh, this is good. Like, I'm going to be a shepherd yeah. and hang out here, you know? And then he gets this message over and over again, like, uh, I think you're the person who needs to go redeem these people. He's like, that's not me. Like, you got the wrong guy. So I think that that's a, that's a, a story we all go through all of the time. We want to play in our zone of confidence. And as Gay Hendricks has told me twice being on my show, we very rarely ever play in our zone of genius. It is so much scarier for us to unleash. You know why? Because human beings want something called certainty. We want certainty so bad. But really what we yearn for is something that's transcendent, right? Those moments where you have wind in your hair, those moments where you're like, oh my God, it took my breath away. It blew mm. my mind. What does that mean? It was bigger than I could predict, bigger than the predictable. However, we've all been through so much stuff, so much stuff that we're trying to do whatever we can to not put ourselves in situations where we're going to get hurt. That's where the imposter syndrome comes in. It's like, I might get rejected. I might, it's like, what about the fact that you have survived all of that before and you've been preparing for every moment in your life up until now? So let's go. Let's see what happens when we just surrender that need for the predictable. Maybe something happens that feels mystical and magical because we, I think fortune favors the brave. I think when you step out like that, you get disproportionately rewarded. So one of the things you mentioned was okay, you've got all these things from childhood, these, you know, maybe these broken soundtracks, these old stories. One of the stories that came up in your book, which was really, really fascinating, was about your family um, and about your childhood being traumatic and, you know, challenging and you playing the role of counselor and carrying all this weight that a teenager isn't designed to carry. Um, so let, let's say that you're talking to somebody who's in their mid-20s, maybe they're in their mid-30s. They carried a lot of that same weight. They came from a, a house where there was divorce. What advice would you give them? Oh, my gosh. I mean, first of all, I'm so sorry. You know, I recently took a test. It's called the ACE test, and it stands for Adverse Child Experiences, Childhood Experiences. And, you know, I never actually knew 
Um, and I've gone to on-site. I've had therapy on and off. I've, um, I've done a lot of different kinds of healing. I never really knew that what I had gone through in my life actually is one of those adverse childhood experiences. But I had a parent who tried to commit suicide multiple times. I had parents who got divorced. I had parents who were abusive to each other in front of me. All those things are actually trauma. What I didn't realize is that when a child suffers from something like that, it literally rewires your brain to where, and we don't have to get into the, the science of it, but there's like the hypothalamus and the prefrontal cortex, and actually certain things shrink and certain things get bigger. And so one thing I would just say is if you're ever somewhere where you're at a child's birthday party or you're taking a drive or you're sitting in the living room and for some reason everyone else just feels normal and you're feeling something like your heart's racing or you just feel kind of despair that's not weird that's because there's stuff that's going on and so i like to give ourselves sort of that compassion and the awareness right because if you were god forbid a diabetic one of the reasons you can get through that is because you know to expect that you're going to need insulin or whatever you're going to need i think that when you go through stuff like that to sort of make time to anticipate that that might come up in a certain moment or throughout your week, that would be beautiful. Because then instead of just going into that perpetual reactive mode, we could go, oh, maybe this is like still a lagging result of that. And I could take care of myself, go take a walk, write in a journal, do some yoga. I've, I've actually learned that yoga is proven to be so helpful for those kinds of things. But I, I do think that what's beautiful is that you can only help someone out of a well because you've already been down there. And so think about how what happens over time is that those things turn to wisdom and they give tremendous courage to other people. And so that's a gift to be needed in that way. Yeah, and I, I think your book and your podcast really do that in, ama you. in amazing ways. And I think that there's people that, and that's part of the reason I think you have such an engaged audience. I love that there's a thread of reinvention for you. You're going to be a singer. You're going to move to LA, and there's there's a plan, and then the plan kind of goes sideways. And you and you tell that story in your book. If someone right now is saying, "Okay, I don't know how I found this podcast. It's about goals, but I'm in a reinvention place where I need to figure out my new career. I need to figure out a new side hustle. I need to I need to do something different." What are some steps that you'd go? Okay, if you're going to reinvent your career, let's just take that one for instance. Here's here's a first couple things you should try. Okay. Well, I love this question. It's sort of my mission. First of all, I love that that question gets asked because the number one regret of the dying turns out is I didn't live life on my terms. And so I'm on this mission, John, to make people quitters. It's like, I want people to quit sitting it out. I want people to quit, quit saying yes when they mean no. I want people to quit building other people's dreams. So it's like, okay, well, what's my thing then? I think that one thing you can do is take out a pen and paper and write down if I didn't have to be perfect, I would, and do that five times. If I didn't have to be perfect, I would this. If I didn't have to be perfect, I would that. And then write yourself a permission slip. You know, I give myself permission to make mediocre things. Because in order to make brilliant things, we have to make some mediocre things first. And then what I would say is clarity, of course, follows the action. So if you wrote down five things that you do if you didn't have to be perfect, what's one thing that actually starts to light you up? Then I would say... What we've learned in the data is that only one-third of people actually know what lights them up, and two-thirds of people don't find their passion. They develop their passion, right, by putting themselves in different contexts, and they start to go, oh, my God, I thought I really wanted to be baking, but then I got so carried away with how I wrapped up these baked goods, I actually really love getting to, to make the creative sort of packaging of these things, and they wouldn't have known that if they wouldn't have tried that first thing. 
What's also helpful is this term ikigai, which is a Japanese word for what's your purpose in life? What's your ikigai? What do you do? Why are you here on this earth? And what they've learned is that an ikigai is the combo of three things, what you're good at, what you love to do, but here's the third one, what the world needs. And so I love the idea of thinking like, when you look at the world, what's one thing that you think is is like hurting your heart? What's one thing that you would like to see change? And how would you take a stab at changing it? That might lead you to, oh, that's a purpose, right? That's something I would love to be able to do. And then the other thing I would say is there's a difference between hobbies and businesses, right? A hobby, if you want to paint or dance or sing or draw or whatever, it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks of it. But as soon as it's a business, that means the only thing that makes it a hobby versus a business is somebody paid you. So that means we need to make something that someone else needs or wants. And so in order for something to become a business, before you quit your job, I would say don't take the leap, build the runway. And how I would, again, get that information is I would see if you could get proof of concept. So I would come up with an idea and build your own little focus group and say, well, let me try making cake pops. Let me think of three people I know who are gluten-free and ask this woman, Melissa, and my friend Stacy at Carline, like, would you just taste these and let me know what you think? Get some feedback. Maybe you are going to start organizing people's homes or you want to create a retreat for women to go to Sedona and do a sound bath retreat. Okay, so start with taking one little step. And see, did any of those women even want to come to your house just to talk about these kinds of restorative things and do a 10-minute sound bath? And then ask them, what did you like about it? What did you not, not like? Have you ever tried anything like that before? And what would you pay for that? Once you get that data, you might be able to make your first initial offer after that beta sort of offer. And if you can get one customer who then says, yeah, I want to hire you to organize my closet, here's $150. Or yeah, I want those gluten-free cake pops. Here's $25, I want a pack of 10. Well, now you can scale that. And once you now get four customers, five customers, then you can have that light bulb moment and say, well, you know what, this makes sense. If I were to quit my job now, I'd be able to dedicate all that time to getting 100 people who were similar to the five people who already said yes and already bought it. That's a proof of concept. That's a validated idea. So those are the things that I would start to play with right now before I would quit. See that I think there's an entire podcast episode in that. Um, that was a great answer. One of the things you said there was, "Don't take the leap, build the runway." I I love that, and I think it's the opposite of a lot of kind of entrepreneur advice, which says things like, "Sometimes you have to jump and grow wings on the way down," which is not how gravity or or really most successful businesses actually right. work. When you you know expand on that, don't take the leap, build the runway. If somebody comes to you and goes, "Okay, I I really want to do this thing. I'm ready to do this thing." And you say, well, these things aren't in place yet. How do you help somebody see the patience required for that? Or go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build the runway. It's going to take time. It's not going to be as sexy and glamorous as like, I leave my day job and like a huff and like, you know, burn every bridge. How do you help somebody kind of take that patient, deliberate move? Oh, I love that question. I love that question. I mean, two different ways of coming at it. One way is, look for the possibility, right? Look for evidence of the possibility because we will reach for the branch that's the highest branch we can see. And so start to proactively look for that possibility. Listen to podcasts like John, you know, look for people who are out there doing things. I didn't start my podcast till I was 37 years old. And in four years, it's grown to 24 million downloads. And this year will hit eight figures a year. That's crazy. And so think about Four years from now. So I like to say the time's going to, God willing, the time passes anyway. So the time's going to pass anyway. So if you did those unsexy steps, but you actually went all in, didn't say I'm trying to start a podcast. No, I'm doing this. 
what might happen in four years? What might happen in four years? Then the other part is, where is the humility? Because the ROI becomes the entire point versus actually doing it. Like think about the fact that it's never, and you've heard this a million times, it's never the goal to become by chasing the goal. But think of it this way. They've done studies. I took three years of classes at the Mindful Awareness Research Center at UCLA. They did a study when it came to people achieving things and putting their happiness on the achievement. Like, I'll win the Oscar, then I'll be happy. I'll make this (laughs) much money, then I'll be happy. Except that doesn't happen. So you see people the day after the Oscar, they win Best Actress. They're in bed for four days. They cannot be consoled because it didn't do what they thought it would do. Okay. So what we've learned is maybe... Becoming who we're meant to be is the satisfaction. Maybe it's not the $4 million or the 28 million downloads. Maybe it's every single day that we were scared, but we showed up anyway. Maybe it was every single day that we were uncomfortable, but we showed up anyway. That we start to enhance our footprint, that we start to actually teach ourselves that we can make an impact, that we can be stronger than our fears. Maybe that's the satisfaction. In fact, Dr. Martin Seligman did a study, because he's like the father of positive psychology, he did a study that... For one week, he took people into Harvard and said, let's see if we can make you happier by the end of a week. What would make you happier? And people made their dream list. Well, I'd want to eat the best meals. I want to go on shopping sprees. I'd want to climb the top of a mountain, check off these goals. Great. So they did that for a week and nothing changed. Then the second week, he came back and said, since that didn't work and you ate all the best food and we gave you all this money to spend and you, you hiked to the top of this mountain, top of this mountain what, let's do it differently this week. And, and for the next week, of course, you know where I'm headed. He said, what would make other people happy for a week that you could do? Let's hold the door for people. Instead of spending $1,000 on yourself, Mm -hmm. give $1,000 to somebody else. Instead of this, do this, blah, 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 blah. Came back after a week, conclusively, they were happier. He published this study, right? Every single person was happier. Every single person was healthier. They did all their blood levels. Better health, better happiness, better state of mind. Why? Because we have it all wrong. In the doing of it, How good would it feel to be like, yeah, I've always really wanted to just like bake or I've always really wanted to sculpt or I've always really wanted to take photographs. I took photographs this week. I I remember when I quit my job and I was songwriting and I used to write music for McDonald's and Pepsi and Switched at Birth and Pretty Little Liars and all of those shows. And I used to feel like just the day in the studio playing the shaker, taking out my ukulele, singing those Mm -hmm. songs. I feel like the luckiest person in the world. It was Disneyland on steroids. No one can take that away from me. And when you got that juice and that enthusiasm, just watch how you become a magnet for so much possibility in your life. You become the mystic. You stir the dream pot. And from there, you'll be led to things that will happen and opportunities that you never even thought you'd ever go toward. They'll just be uncovered. For me, that's public speaking. Every time I get to do it, I think this is the best job in the world. I can't believe I get to do this. I'm so fortunate. I'm I'm curious, one of the things I like about um, the discussion we're getting to have is that you don't give one size fits all advice. So, okay, one third of people are going to do it this way. Two thirds are going to try it this way. Here's four different possibilities. I think sometimes in building a business, there is, like somebody has a singular experience and then they write a book that says, this is how to do this thing. Right. And it doesn't take into account personalities, strengths. I live in Wichita. You live in LA, like whatever. What's some advice that you would go, you know what? That works for them. That's great, but doesn't work for me. Here's where everybody said I needed to do my podcast this way. I zagged the other way. 
it worked for me. Or everybody says you got to get up at 2 a.m. like Mark Wahlberg and do burpees. And like, that's not, you know, I like this amount of sleep. What's some advice that you go, mm, that's not, that's not for me. So there's two things that come to mind. One is people used to say, or I would hear it, that in order for you to be successful before you start something, you need an audience of like 10,000, 50,000. You need mm -hmm. an email list before you start, da, 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 all that stuff. Um, I think for me, intimacy is currency. Intimacy. If they zig and you zag, in, in that way, this is where I zag and they zig. Because for me, I started a podcast without an Instagram account and without an email list. And I thought to myself, instead of trying to get all of this audience, what if I really connected deeply and engaged deeply with a small group of people? And I was so focused on making that engagement as intimate as possible that they would be so satisfied. And so that's what I did. And so I poured into a small group and then I never worried about the audience growing because those people couldn't help it. They couldn't help it. You know, people need their emotional bank account filled up. And when it fills up, the water like a tea kettle just will boil. And then they won't be able to not tell their friends about Tom's Shoes or this new restaurant that opened up where the woman just smiles at you and remembers your mother's name and asks how she's doing when she walks in the room. I just bet on that with everything and I keep doubling down on that. So I do that also in my business. You know, we do launches of my programs and we haven't had... We haven't had a launch that's less than multi-millions in, in years. And I don't have a funnel. I don't have a funnel. Mm -hmm. So what I do differently is I'm there. And so when I sell the program, I don't say, well, I shot 26 videos. There's 19 modules. They're beautiful. You're going to get everything you need. There are no modules. There's zero modules. Mm -hmm. I'll be there. I'm showing up. So it's li is it live? Is like when you do a challenge or a course, it's live? Everything is live. Everything huh, is live. That's so, crazy. So instead of people paying $1,000 for something that's not live, they pay $4,000 for something that's live. And they don't have information. They have transformation. And I'm so present on those calls that I'm very often like, I'm crying or I'm so animated because I, I'm unrelenting about their change. Unrelenting. And they feel it. Yeah. That's so good. So when somebody says to you, because people say this, well, you could do this, this, and this and scale. If you did the recording, you could, you know, you could trade out. And I get this sense of like, you've said all in a couple of times. In order to go all in, you have to go all out on other stuff. So what's something on your like all out or somebody again says to you, wow, Kathy, it's inefficient. You could like, cause you'll read business books. that will say, we got to get you out of the business. You got to get like, you shouldn't be present. You want to work, you know, on the restaurant, not in the restaurant. Yeah. What it, you know, what's your response to that? It's either free or it's expensive. So therefore I do a ton of stuff every day. That's free. Yeah. That's scalable, right? We do a podcast episode every day. I'm writing a second book. I just did this amazing deal, which I can't wait, but we're creating this incredible TV show, which I'm so excited to announce when it's going to be out. It's amazing. I, I wish I could go off right now and tell everybody what's happening on this show, but that will be huge, right? It's a, it's a lot of extra exposure. I can't believe it just came together, but it did. So those are things that I would require of myself to do. 
because things cannot be behind a paywall. However, if I'm going to do something, it won't be $500. It's like going to be $4,000 for 12 weeks, and I will be there because it's so worth it. I mean, it's, it's, it's so worth it also because Seth Godin, who's, he's my mentor. He's the person I go to with things. Um, I value him so much. He taught me, he said, Kathy, there's a difference between trying to be Taylor Swift and the Grateful Dead. And just think about it for a second. Most people I know know a few Taylor Swift songs and have bought an album or two and maybe have gone to a concert or know someone who did. The people I know who like the Grateful Dead, and I'm, by the way, not in that category. I don't even know the Grateful Dead's music. Mm -hmm. But what Seth told me is the people who know the Grateful Dead and like them, they didn't go to one concert. They went to 462 mm -hmm. concerts and they didn't buy one record. They bought 45 records and the Grateful Dead made more money than Taylor Swift and they didn't have a number one single or five number one singles because they didn't try to win the popular vote. They went deep. So people who like them are obsessed with them. They're, they feel like they're, that's part of who they are. It's a different way to show up in the world, but I do think that you can have both. I think you can create free content where you give value and value and value. And then I think you can decide what you're going to focus on and a lot of times people try to be everything. It's like, I make great lemonade, but I'm also going to make great pizza. And I'm also going to make great dinners and cater people's sweet 16s. How about make really, really, really good lemonade? How about that's your signature mm -hmm. move? So you can create all of this free content and value and nurture, nurture, nurture. But then you've dialed in. This is the one thing. Your one thing that if somebody's going to pay you, they're going to get this from you. And every time a customer leaves you, there's no thing called satisfaction. It's complete paradigm shifting, full body. My life is not the same. Mm -hmm. Now, when that happens, that's okay for it to not be everybody. It's a small group, but it's mighty. It's different. Oh, it's so good. So good. So it feels like when it comes to your business, I'm curious how you even went through that process because a lot of people would go, okay, you're a singer-songwriter. You moved to LA to do that. You're writing songs for all these shows. Where do you develop and say, okay, at some point, I'm going to build a business. It's going to be successful. I'm going to learn the thousand things that come along with that. What does that process look like? Because I had another uh, person on the um, show that said, well, I, I just went to the library and I gave myself an MBA for a library card. So I just went and I, I read all the books. And if a book mentioned another book, I'd do this. You mentioned Seth Godin's a mentor. What was your business you know, school experience like to get to this point? My business school experience is all hands-on, coming up with an idea, not overthinking it at all. I took this like Colby and DISC assessment of my personality. Mm -hmm. I am literally zeros in every category, except for I'm all 10. I get all my points in quick start. I do mm -hmm. not overthink, period, end of story, big exclamation point, circle it, highlight it. I don't overthink anything. What I do is I keep saying yes when it's obvious that there is another way for me, A, to grow as a human being or B, to, to help someone else. So what happened to me was I was signed to Interscope. I got dropped from Interscope. I started writing music for film and TV. It worked. Oh my God, I started making $300,000, $400,000 a year. That money was talked about in magazines like the LA Weekly and Billboard Magazine and Variety. They did these full page stories when those articles came out. I started getting contacted by other songwriters. Hey, can I take you to lunch? Hey, can I pick your brain? I'm like, oh, you're not unique. I got 16 of those other emails earlier today and it's only noon. Okay, so then 
one artist emails me and says, can you just teach this? Why can't you teach this? I'm like, I don't have time. I've got three kids. I said, wait a minute, maybe I'll teach it. So what I did, John, very, very scrappy. I had never seen an online class, didn't know who Amy Porterfield was, didn't know any of that stuff. I just said, okay, I'll be messy. I'm going to go live and I'm going to teach a class without any slides. I don't know anything about slideshows or anything, Mm -hmm. webinar software, went live. At the end of it, I said, I'm teaching a class called Six Figure Songwriting. That's what I do. If you want to be in it, it's $1,000. That night, 147 people bought the class. That is insane. It's insane. Holy then cow. I launched it a second time and 440 people bought the class. And I said, okay, that's crazy. That's more money than I make an entire year having flown to Minnesota to meet with Target and Best Buy. I'm writing all these commercial songs. Instead, yeah. I could just teach these artists. I'm like, okay, so for every person you've sold to, every client, there's a line around the block of people who want to know how you sold to that client, how you made that thing. So I said, okay, that's interesting. And then one of my students said to me, text me, you should start a podcast. And I said, podcast on songwriting? I never got into songwriting to teach songwriting as a business. It's not interesting. Mm-hmm. I said, but wait a minute. What if the podcast wasn't just about songwriting? It was about any person achieving their own thing. I was like, well, that's interesting. Let's try it. So I started that. And, you know, we've been offered to go to Wondery, Podcast One, a cast, all these. We just haven't gone to a network. We haven't needed to go to a network at this point. I just keep holding the line. It's grown and it's amazing. And then from the podcast, there was a there was a question. Could you teach a class on how each of us could develop from idea to income? I said, well, let's try. Let's see if we can do that. And then we got the results. People started doing it. People started being able to start their I mean, when this guy started a cheesecake shop in Missouri and was able to have his wife also be able to quit her job, that's that's how much money the cheesecake shop was making and so on and so on and so on. And to the point where it was like, okay, so then we're just going to keep teaching this, right? So, and then the, the TV show came out of that, like, and and the books came out of that and, and all of that stuff. We haven't even started yet. I feel like we haven't even started. That's, that is amazing. I, I love that. I, somebody, I just talked to John Maxwell's team the other day, mm-hmm. speaking of not starting, <laughs> and they were saying that he wrote his first business book at like 43 or 44 years old. And so I think we have this perception, at least culturally, you have to do your stuff, like all your big stuff in your 20s. Like I, a friend just turned 40 and I said, you'll no longer be on a under 40 list. There's no under 50. We just go like, we celebrate youth and there's no top 50 under 50. We just expect you to do stuff. Yeah. If I'm somebody and I'm, say I'm in my mid 40s and I'm like, I'm interested in this, this kind of thing. What encouragement would you give? What are some of the things that trip them up? If I I have an idea, I think everybody has an idea. I want to take it to income. What are the things that trip them up? Well, I mean, first of all, like you said, I think it trips us up just to think that we're late. And at my 40th birthday party, a friend walked over to me and he said, welcome. It's just going to get started now. And I was like, oh, that's really sweet. He said, no, I mean it. He goes, think about walking through the desert. Like it took 40 years to even get to the promised land, right? 40 years. So what does that mean? I mean, I feel like people are just starting to shut the windows at 40. It's like, mm, my grandma lived to 96, right? There were times where there was there was periods in this world where people died at 40, right? That's where it was. Mm-hmm. Then we got older and older and older. So it's just getting started. So I think the question is, now that you're finally here at 40, <laughs> that's, that's so you know, good. what wisdom have you acquired and what have you gone through in your life that actually gives you the 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 ability, the capability to help get somebody home because 
all those lanterns that you collected walking through those dark nights, whether you figured out how to consciously discipline a kid, whether you figured out how to stay married, whether you figured out how to lose the weight, like you've collected so much treasure and now it's time to give it away. And I also think that what's happening in the world right now should give people such a feeling of permission because we live in a time where you used to not be able to see on your social media what was happening in Afghanistan. You would never even know. But now that we can see it, it's like for us to have the luxury of running water and Wi-Fi and then say, mm, I don't think so. I'm going to play small. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to play yeah. real small, stay yeah. really comfortable. I don't think that we are any more afforded that. I think that if every good person had a bigger checkbook right now, we could actually do some stuff. I think if every person who has a voice actually used it right now, we could get some stuff done. So I think we need people with empathy and beauty to share, to share it. And instead of thinking about all the ways that's going to be uncomfortable, think of the three people whose feed you might actually inspire because you weren't just sitting it out or part of the white noise that's bringing everybody down. I mean, think of all the negative things out there between the pandemic and everything else. So it's going to go a long way. And the cost of admission is not being perfect. It's just having the courage to be real. I think people need to know that, John. I think people don't realize that the things that go viral the most when they study them, it's not how much celebrity is in it. It's how much the person speaking or the writer who's writing makes the person reading or the person watching that reel feel less alone. So if you knew that you could make somebody feel less alone, and that's actually the thing that's going to make it go viral, do the reel in your car, right? It doesn't matter where you are. It matters that you're there, that you're not apologizing, and then you become a vessel for things that might actually do a whole lot of good. I, I love that. Last, uh, last couple questions. What systems do you have in your business that make your life faster, easier, less worrisome. Um, it seems like the more I talk to successful entrepreneurs, people that are good at goals, whether that's a health goal, you know, personal goal, whatever, financial goal, there's often a system that they go, you know what, I, I did this thing and I did it 10 times and it was inefficient and then I figured it out. Are there any simple systems you use? I have a packing list that I take every time I pack for a suitcase. I didn't use it for two or three years, forgot stuff forever, was like, this is dumb, sat down for half an hour. I take the same 90% of things every time, and now I have a system. What's a system that you use in your life? Okay, so first of all, I cut out all of the fat, all of it. I think most people are working really hard. They're not working smart. So the first thing to know is that when it comes to a business, and you said in your business, right? We could talk about yeah. packing. That's a whole thing. But in your business, it's the things that are going to be most uncomfortable for most people. That's literally all I do. And I don't do the other things at all. So this time where people spend updating their website, it's like, no, 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 no. Maybe that happens once a quarter for me. But what's going to happen every single day is I am going to do the three things that actually move your business forward, which is be visible, connect and engage, and then make your offer every single day. Those are the three things you do every day. Every single day. And anything else would be a way of me avoiding those things. And so you got to be visible. So then what's going to happen? You're going to need to put out something every single day. You need to connect and engage with people. So there needs to be a call to action. You need to write back to people's comments. You need to DM some people, blow their minds and voice text five people a day. Hey, I saw you just started following me. It's awesome to have you here. Tell me more about you. Say more about that. I see that you have da-da-da-da-da going on. Say more about that every single day. And then 
not holding back on the offer. So what's that initial offer? Is the initial offer for people to grab that freebie? Is the initial offer for people to come into your initial program? Whatever that offer is, that's going to happen. And then you get in the habit of connecting with people, engaging with people, and then offering them something. Your business blows up. Everything else, I I don't know what all that stuff is. I don't, I honestly don't want people to, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm like, I have three kids. I'm with them every single day. I'm only working four hours a day. How am I running in almost this year? We're going to hit eight figures before December. How is this an eight figure business? I work four hours a day because I'm working on those things. I am going to go live. Yeah. You know what it means? My hair is not going to be blown out. I'm not going to have the right lighting, but I'm going, I'm just going to say, let's go. Then that intimacy part, right? I'm going to make sure that I'm engaging with real human beings every single day, whether it's calling them up live on my Instagram, whether it's DMing them and going back for like, I can't believe you're responding. And they know it's me because I'm voice texting them. And it starts to reverberate. It starts to make a little dent where people actually have, again, intimacy with you. And then instead of being apologetic about what that offer is, you say, you have aggressive confidence. Why? Because it's not about you. When somebody buys something or puts skin in the game, that's a story they tell about themselves today. So the, you're not selling a program. You're not selling a, a video. You're, you're selling them taking action so that they move from where they are to where they want to be. And when you're so clear that it's so possible that somebody can have whatever they want in their life, if they start to show up, you'd want them to show up no matter what it is. You're like, just take some action. Let's go. Let's get you out of your funk. So I do that every single day for four hours. And then I don't do anything else. I've said I love that a lot this episode, but it's just, it's true. (laughs) I, the reason I say that is I've recently started to be really deliberate about my time. And the last six weeks, I've worked 30 hours a week. And I think I'm going to continue to shrink it. But a lot of it is I'm trimming stuff out and going, okay, well, I'm not good at that. I need to assign that to somebody. I, this thing doesn't, this is a distraction. Yeah. Like I keep, so that's really, it's fascinating to hear you say, because I've asked other people that question, how long do you work? And they'll go, I do 80 hours a week, but I don't consider it work. And I'm like, well, that, that gets fuzzy. Um, but I love hearing that it's, it's 20 hours um, a week for you. Last question, and I, I love to ask this one. What's the book you've given away more than any other book, other than your own? And we'll we'll link to your book, but other than your own, and I guess it's really not the last question because I'll always ask, like, where can people find you? But what's a book you've given away more than any other book? Okay, that's I, I know the answer because there's two books and they're two because I give them both away constantly. One is The Gift by Dr. Edith Eager. If you haven't read that book, that book is medicine. She's a Holocaust survivor who's also a psychologist. The most compelling piece of this book is where it comes down to her saying that after years of leaving a concentration camp, she says in the book that she realized that there was nothing a Nazi could do to her that was worse than the prison she could create for herself in her own mind. Mic drop, such an important book. So good, so good, so good. And the second book is by John Kabat-Zinn and it's wherever you go, there you are. And it really helps you to arrive at your own door and be present because we miss out on the way the sunlight hits that tree. We miss out on feeling the way it feels to walk on the gravel from your from your car to that next doorway, just feeling your kid's hand in your in yours. We miss out on that because we're we're not where we are. We're in the future or in the past. So I give those two books away all the time to the point where I'm always having to reorder them. So I love it. That's a that's a great answer. And I, I think I've read one of John's books 
Is is he uh he connected to Harvard? Do I have that right? I feel like he's gonna So he's in Massachusetts at the University of Massachusetts in That's what it is. Amherst, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, and he's a mindfulness like teacher. But from a scientific perspective, like his his stuff's fascinating. I I love fascinating, right? The mind. I quoted him. Yeah, I quoted him in uh in my last book. Okay, last question. Where can people find out more about you? People can find me listening to you and me talk right now. And on my Instagram at Kathy.Heller. And the podcast is called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Don't Keep Your Day Job anywhere we listen to podcasts. And then, um, yeah, we have something called the Quitters Club for people to quit. And they can go join it and get get excited about that at KathyHeller.com slash quitter. There's so many things. I'm here to support you. John, I think you're so humble because you're such a big deal and you like to make everybody feel like they're a big deal. I love what you and Dave Hollis are doing. The two of you are so adorable together. And thank you for having me. Oh, this was this was fun. And he just came to my house I saw like, just last week. It was ridiculous. And he got to meet my family and was like, I didn't know you really had a wife. I just thought it was a person you created that you always talk about. So that's so he like was, him to say that. Yeah, he totally, he totally said that. So this was a blast. Um, we'll link to everything. I'll make sure I link to the episode that I got to do on your podcast because it was super fun. But Kathy, thank you for using one of your four hours today on this podcast. That's such an honor. Thank you for being as sweet as you are. And I wish you just continued gorgeous blessing. And I have no doubt that it's just, you've just scratched the surface because of your kindness and smarts. People keep talking to you about that episode you did on my show too. Oh, good. All right. See you, Kathy. Bye. Thank you for listening to my interview today with Kathy Heller. We'll put all the links in the show notes as always. And thank you so much for reviewing my podcast. When your podcast is newish like mine is, it's only been around for a few months, the reviews are super important. So make sure you subscribe or follow or whatever it is the kids are saying these days. And please, please, please write a review. Last but not least, big thank you once again to our sponsor, Remodel Health. Visit RemodelHealth.com analysis, that's RemodelHealth.com slash analysis and get 50% off by using coupon code ACUF50. That's A-C-U-F-F-5-0. That's it for this week. I'll see you next Monday. And remember, all it takes is a goal. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast.